And then we listened to Christmas music a lot and uh, set up decorations and uh, read the Bible and read the story of how Jesus uh, came to us. And, uh, and we just try to prepare our hearts the best we can for, for that experience. A lot of the preparations that I'm doing for Christmas, particularly this year, is getting my house ready, getting my home ready, doing some deep cleaning so that all the rooms for all my children that are living far away can come home and bring my new grandbaby home to see me. But it makes me realize, am I preparing room for Jesus? Am I um, making room for Him? Am I doing the deep cleaning that it takes to make sure that He feels welcome in my life? How we prepare for the holiday always reflects how we prepare for our life with Christ. There's a lot of prayer on um, Christmas that we do. It's um, over the food, over the people, just in general, just like we just thank God for Him coming down from the cross. Yeah, I'm with Him. So <laughs> we do a lot of the um, same things. As uh, Christmas approaches, I just I, I like to uh, prepare like the environment. I love to decorate. I love to listen to the Christmas music. We come to church and we are reminded um, of um, the whole reason why Christ came. His birth is the beginning of uh, God's uh, extending His uh, love and grace to us. Right after Thanksgiving, I always set aside my regular Sunday school curriculum and I pretty much dedicate the entire month of December uh, focusing on Christmas. And it's so much fun for me in the mornings as I get ready for my classes to just sit down with God's Word to read the same stories over year after year. But every year that I do, God gives me something new in there and uh, just makes it so exciting for me. And Christmas is really the most exciting time of the year for, for me. The Christmas season is about refocusing yourself on what's really important in our lives, not just the, the presents or the get-togethers or the big feasts that we have on Christmas, but, you know, the, the time that we spend uh, being together with Christ in, in relationship with Him and with other believers. Kind of fun, isn't it, to just listen to our uh, brothers and sisters and have them reflect on how they prepare for Christmas. <clears throat> just before I forget, um, I wanted to share with you that uh, Ted DeRamo is going to have a book signing in the gathering hall after uh, uh, during the coffee time. Uh, Ted wrote a book, you know, it's not your um, IQ, it's your I will, and uh, that'll be available uh, in, after both services today. Well, this uh, Christmas... Um, we've been asking this question, you know, what happened to some of the biblical people on their way to Christmas? And uh, last week, you might remember, we uh, asked what happened to the shepherds. And, uh, and this morning, we come to ask what happened to Mary and Joseph, Jesus' earthly parents. And uh, the whole idea here is to kind of ask ourselves, you know, is anything like that happening to us? In fact, what is happening to us on the way to Christmas in 2016? Um, what is happening on the inside? <clears throat> and so this morning we come to uh, Mary and Joseph, uh, Jesus' earthly parents, and uh, ask the question, what happened to them uh, on their way to Christmas? And my best guess is that um, Mary and Joseph were teenagers uh, at the time 
uh, that all of this happened. But of course, in Jewish culture, uh, people didn't think in terms of teenagers. Uh, when a young person turned 13 or so, just like today, they uh, had a bar mitzvah or a bath mitzvah. And uh, from that point on, you considered that person an adult. And so in the Jewish culture, you just had children and adults. And I'm not sure who created uh, teenagers, uh, but whoever it is, you know, I think made a huge mistake. And so, you know, if you think about it, right, if everybody's just a child or an adult, like uh, in the Jewish culture, uh, I think we uh, grow up a little bit quicker. Um, But anyway, um, you know, uh, from that point on, uh, Joseph uh, and Mary, I think, were pretty ordinary people. Joseph, we know, was a carpenter. Uh, maybe built houses uh, and built furniture and, and stuff like that. And uh, Mary came from a rather simple background. And uh, she had a sister named Salome, and her sister was the father of um, James and John, uh, sons of Zebedee, who were fishermen. And uh, I'm pretty sure you know the story. If you uh, want to follow along, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. But uh, uh, Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other, okay, in Luke uh, chapter 1. Uh, Verse 26 uh, starts out, and uh, we read this. Um, In the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel uh, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name uh, was Mary. Now, uh, betrothed is kind of like being engaged, only different. Um, betrothed meant that you were legally committed to be married. It was a legal uh, agreement that you would be married, and the betrothal period was usually uh, at least a year long. And um, during that time, um, it was intended uh, that you could prove the fidelity of both partners. Uh, If during that betrothal time either party broke their vows uh, or was found unchaste, Uh, a formal divorce was required to nullify uh, the betrothal agreement. It was a legal agreement. So legally, Mary and Joseph were married, uh, but they had no physical relationship. That's what the betrothal period was for. They lived separately uh, for that entire year. And uh, then the second part of the marriage after the betrothal period was called the hoopah, and uh, that was more like we think of as a wedding. Uh, the wedding ceremony where uh, uh, the couple would be formally uh, recognized as a married couple. And um, it, it lasted an entire week. You might remember that um, Jesus performed his first miracle, right, at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Uh, and he turned water into wine because the people ran out of wine. I mean, imagine a wedding celebration going on a week long. And uh, when the People ran out, of wine, ran out of wine. Jesus turned the water into wine. And I always th- thought that, you know, that being the very first miracle that Jesus did, it was like a signal, like the first thing that you do, you know. The, it was like a signal that celebration was coming back uh, into life. Uh, celebration. And, uh, you know, if we read the Christmas story and understand it right, uh, the Bible tells us that Christmas is supposed to be, you know, good news of great joy, of celebration. Like, this is something that uh, is going to bring celebration all the way back into life. And so what's happening um, is that Mary's pregnancy with Jesus, of course, starts 
during their betrothal period. Nine months before Christmas, the angel Gabriel shows up, and uh, here's what the angel has to say, verse uh, 28 and following. He came to her, the angel Gabriel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, again, the most common command in the entire Bible, uh, do not be afraid, fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month um, with her, uh, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed uh, from her. 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament, right? the end of Malachi, and an angel shows up with this announcement to Mary that Jesus is going to be born. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, this heaven delivers a message. Three times in this passage, um, we're told that Mary was a virgin. And um, there's a lot of clarity on that particular point in the scriptures. And um, there's no real alternative meaning for the word that's used in the Greek language. And so um, there's a lot of clarity here. And notice, if you will, in verse 38, um, what Mary says about herself. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed for her, from her. The message from God comes delivered by an angel. And God basically says to Mary, if you think about this, he basically says, I'm going to take over your life. I'm going to take over your life. I'm intruding on your plans to be happily married to Joseph, you know, and to live happily ever after. And you're going to raise Jesus. You're going to raise the Son of God. No pressure, right? No pressure. You're going to raise the Son of God. And, and Mary doesn't say something like this. Hey, that's not fair. I'm planning to get married. I've got my whole life. You know, I'm just, I'm all excited about what's going to happen. Mary doesn't say, pick somebody else. Mary doesn't say, hey, listen, this is my body, and I have the right to choose what happens to my body. Mary doesn't say anything like that. Uh, Mary doesn't say, "Um, this is going to put me in an embarrassing situation. This is really going to be tough. I'm not so sure I'm up for this. Mary doesn't complain. Mary's character comes through, and you notice what she says in in the first part of verse 38. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Can I suggest to you that on the way to Christmas, Mary was able to clarify her identity? You ever ask the question, who really am I? Who am I? 
And I know we like to sing that song, you know, I am loved by God. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. Right? We sing that song. And that's absolutely true. It's a great thing to be loved by God. And that is who we are. But what are the implications of being loved by God? Am I somebody who loves him back? Am I somebody, you know, who um, understands my identity, primary identity, to be that of a servant of the living God? That God created me for himself. And that God sent Jesus so that I could be reconciled to him so that I could fulfill the purpose for which he created me in the first place. Uh, On the way to Christmas, is anything like that happening to us? Are we clarifying our identity? Who really are we? And I love Mary's response here. She's like, you know what? I'm a servant of the living God. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I really am. I'm a servant of the living God. And um, not only that, but um, when this interruption into Mary's life comes, she interprets it as an opportunity to embrace rather than an obligation to avoid. When God intrudes on Mary's life and takes it over and says, I've got a wonderful plan for your life, Mary sees it really as an opportunity to embrace rather than an obligation to avoid. And I think what happens in our lives when um, an intrusion by God comes into our plans? What happens when what we receive is not what we imagined was going to happen? And how do we handle that? And how do we respond to that? What's our reaction? Mary, I want to suggest to you, shows off her character and her faith. She has what I would call a God-first reaction. God is allowing this to happen to me. It's an opportunity uh, to embrace, not uh, you know, an obligation to avoid. Uh, Mary is a servant of God by her choice. What's happening to Mary on her way to Christmas? Well, she's being totally inconvenienced. Her whole life is being interrupted, and she's embracing it as God's will. She doesn't even question God on it. Um, The opposite of this might be uh, said to be found right here in the same chapter if you were to compare uh, Zechariah. You remember there was a guy named Zechariah who was the father of John the Baptist. And the same angel, Gabriel, came to Zechariah when he was in the uh, temple in in Luke chapter 1 and uh, verse 11. We can uh, read about him. And kind of this encounter that he had and how different it was from from Mary's. In verse 11, it says, There appeared to him an angel of the Lord uh, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah, you know, was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And the angel says, what? Do not be afraid, right? Again, do not be afraid. Chill out. Relax. Do not be afraid, okay? Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son And you're going to call his name John. And you're going to have joy and gladness. And many people are going to be psyched about his birth. For he's going to be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know you're telling me the truth? 
How can I believe something like this? you got to be kidding me. Who are you, really? For look, I'm an old man, right? And my wife, man, she's really old. She's advanced in years. And the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent here to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. You did not believe my words. God spoke. God delivers a message, but you wouldn't believe it. So you know what? I'm just going to shut your trap until it happens because I don't want you going around spreading your ideas to everybody when this is what's going to happen straight from God. What a difference between Mary's reaction and Zechariah the priest, right, in the temple and his reaction. And uh, I always think, you know, it's interesting. Um, One of the uh, suggestions that um, we put out this year is, you know, we have uh, coffee time both after this service and after the next service. And one of the encouragements was take these connection questions. I call them sermon squeezers, and they're in your bulletin. And uh, one of them uh, this week is, you know, compare Mary's response with Zachariah's response and talk about how you respond when God interrupts your life. Are you more like Mary or are you more like Zachariah, right? Or are you more like uh, Mary and optimistic and thinking, wow, this is an opportunity to embrace? Or are we more like Zachariah and thinking, ugh, this is... You know, I'm not sure about this, and I, there's no way that God could pull this off, and, and I'm just going to bow out and all the rest of it, you know. And, uh, and over coffee, just share with each other, you know, an opportunity to take these connection questions. If you read the questions first, the sermon usually answers them. You're way ahead of the game, okay? And so that's one of the questions, you know, compare your reaction to some interruption in your life. Are you more like Zachariah, doubting what God has to say about your situation, or you're more like Mary, embracing it and saying, wow, I'm a servant of the living God. God's speaking to me, and uh, I'm going to embrace this. You know, Mary was entirely different. Uh, we saw that uh, Mary um, embraced, treasured, pondered the things that God said. In uh, chapter 1 of Luke, verse 46, you know, Mary says this about her uh, encounter with the angel. Mary says, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord. Wow, to think that God would talk to me. And that's what we have in the scriptures, God actually talking to us. The Bible's a, a living book. And uh, what do, how do we respond to his speaking? My soul magnifies the Lord, she says, and uh, my spirit rejoices in uh, God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Uh, for behold, from now on, generations are going to call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Is that our kind of response? in reaction to the things that God says to us. Do we realize how privileged we are that the living God uh, would speak to us? And Mary's reaction is so different than Zachariah's. And uh, no questioning, no demanding to understand, no fear, just confidence. If this is really from God, Mary's attitude is, I'm all in. If this is really from God, I'm in. And so interruptions, what happens to you? You know, when interruptions come your way, Um, when what you imagined was going to be. Now, remember, they're like engaged. They're like planning their wedding. They're like uh, building a house. They're like uh, getting all the very optimistic, 
you know, about what's going to happen. And this huge interruption comes into their life. And um, imagine what it was like for them. Um, Imagine what people said when Mary started to show. Imagine Mary trying to explain to her relatives how she got pregnant before she got married. Imagine her trying to explain to her friends, well, you see, this angel showed up and the Holy Spirit came upon me and so forth. And um, awkward, anxious, angry maybe even, you know, from time to time. Nine months later, Mary, if you think about it, ends up far away from home. They have to travel from Nazareth to a place called Bethlehem where Jesus was to be born as it was prophesied. She's far from home, far from family, far from her own bed. She's been on the back of a donkey. Uh, Her back is probably killing her. It's cold. Friends are nowhere to be found. There's no room in the inn, no hot meals, no warm bed. It's probably not what Mary envisioned when she thought about delivering Jesus into the world. Maybe Mary envisioned having this baby at home. Maybe she envisioned mom holding one hand while Aunt Elizabeth held the other hand. And there was the help of a professional midwife with the process. I mean, after all, this is God's kid. Don't you think Mary maybe said, you know, it's God. I'm doing this for you. Don't you think you could have reserved me at least a bed in the inn? Couldn't you have uh, seen to that detail? I'm doing this for you. Um, But here we are, right, alone, lying on itchy hay. Um, I remember a time when I went on a mission trip in the Philippines and uh, we had like a circus tent, and uh, that's what we had two circus tents. One we lived in, and one uh, was where we had a coffee shop, and we'd invite everybody to come, and we'd sing and share the gospel with people. And uh, we got there late at night, and we had to put up this circus tent, and the problem was it had rained the night before. And so this hay field was, all the hay was still in the field, but it was wet, and so you put the tent over, it doesn't dry out, and it started to smell, and that's where we had to sleep. And uh, what a nightmare that was. And I think of Mary and Joseph laying on itchy hay, um, you know, uh, and, and what mother dreams of giving birth in a barn and placing their newborn baby in a saliva-covered feeding trough, you know. Mary is interrupted. She's inconvenienced, and now she's probably feeling a little bit inhumane. Can you relate to this at all? Can you put yourself in Mary's shoes? Can you hear God speaking to you as you're on your way to Christmas And uh, maybe, you know, God is asking you to um, put yourself out for some relatives that you'd rather avoid. (laughs) Everybody has those kind of relatives. Uh, Maybe God is asking you to give some money that you'd rather hold on to. Maybe God is asking you to help somebody out when you'd really just rather help yourself. Maybe God's asking you to say something when you'd really rather just keep quiet. What happens when God intrudes into our plans with the unexpected? And uh, I want to suggest to you that saying yes to God at Christmas can change your whole life. Just ask Mary. Saying yes to God when God speaks, listening for his voice and saying yes, and uh, can increase our faith just like it increased Mary's faith. When what we expect is different than what we receive, are we more like Mary or are we more like Zechariah? Okay, and then, of course, there's Joseph, right? I mean, God's got great plans for the missus, right? She's going to be the mother of Jesus. Hallelujah. But what about Joseph? What does it mean for Joseph? Um, It's a scandalous pregnancy, 
And just imagine Joseph trying to explain the situation to his friends and to his parents and to his relatives. And um, maybe, you know, just thinking about it uh, is a challenge for Joseph. In um, Matthew's gospel, where we have Joseph's story, um, we read that the first thing that came to Joseph's mind is, I got to find a way out of this, right? I got to find a way out of this situation. I don't know what to do. And um, I'm sure that uh, this scandalous pregnancy uh, caused Joseph a lot of angst. Uh, Maybe just thinking about it caused him, thinking about having to explain it to people, uh, caused him to want to bail on God's plan for his life. You know, he was just a carpenter, Matthew chapter 13, and, um, but he was a man of faith. Matthew chapter 1 and verse uh, 18 and, and 19, we read this. The birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, for Joseph to come to this conclusion, he would have had to think through uh, a number of options. You know, Joseph's whole world, no doubt, was rocked when the news of Mary. Imagine him as a carpenter, maybe building a house and getting ready and, and getting excited about their future. Being engaged, again, is such a, an optimistic time of life. Uh, imagining how great it will be. Usually when we're still in the engagement period, most of what we think about the other person is good, right? Uh, It's not until after we're married for a while that we all of a sudden discover, oh, not everything is as great as we thought. In the couples I marry, I I have a test. uh, It's called, I call it the infatuation test, just to make sure you know who you're really marrying because you can be so infatuated that all you see is the good. And, uh, and then it's a wake-up call on the other side to find out that, oh, wow, I did marry another human being, a lot, a lot like myself, and, and so on. And so, but being engaged is such a great time. And then disaster strikes. Mary's pregnant, and everything stops. Time stands still. I had a wedding one time you know, a number of years back where uh, we're all set to go on that Saturday, and I had met with a couple on several you know, occasions, and um, I, I think it was... Um, uh, Early on Friday, uh, the rehearsal was Friday, the wedding was Saturday. It was early on Friday that the uh, bride-to-be unexpectedly went back home because she forgot something and found her fiancé in bed with another, his old girlfriend. Friday afternoon of the wedding weekend, right? And she called, and she was just absolutely devastated. And uh, Sometimes if I go home the back way, I still pass the house where that happened. It just it brings it back to me. It's so vivid. And we had to call off the whole wedding and um, how terrible a time that was and uh, how angry I was at that guy and so forth. But um, in, in Joseph's mind, one of the options, uh, one of the things that his uh, conservative, righteous, religious, Jewish culture demanded is that Mary would be stoned to death. Right? And so he had to wrestle. This is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy, uh, Leviticus, you know, are basically expansions on the Ten Commandments. What, what do the Ten Commandments really entail? And more of God's thoughts. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22 has different thoughts of, of God about sexual uh, issues. And in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and uh, verse 20, we read this. If, if the thing is true... The evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman. 
Then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So religiously, Joseph is like, what do I do with this? Here's how God feels about uh, immorality. God is very offended by sexual sin. In verse 23, um, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out uh, to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she didn't cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And you can read this whole chapter has to do with um, uh, the way God feels about sexual immorality. Sex outside of marriage is a serious offense uh, to God. And so righteous Joseph has to decide, what do I do with what God has to say here about this issue? And um, uh, it's a serious uh, matter for him. And, you know, I bet he wants to believe with all of his heart Mary's story. He loves Mary. He's about to marry her. And she comes with this crazy story. And, and I bet he really wants to believe it, but he just can't, you know, because in all of human history, there's never been a virgin birth, okay? It just doesn't happen. And uh, so I don't think that Joseph instantly believed her. Uh, but the Jewish people were living under Roman laws in Joseph's day. And so Joseph had two other options uh, to consider. Uh, first of all, he could bring charges against Mary in a court of law. And uh, she would obviously be found guilty, and she would be convicted, and she would be shamed, and her reputation would be ruined. But Joseph would be legally out from under his obligations of the betrothal, the legal betrothal period. Um, and um, it would end the relationship, right? Or um, he could quietly, in front of uh, three witnesses, write her a bill of divorce and end the relationship, leaving her to be a single mom. And that's what he decided to do, according to um, Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 1. He decided, you see, it says he decided in verse 19 uh, to divorce her quietly, uh, not, to embarrass, not to stone her to death, not to embarrass her, uh, but to divorce her quietly. But while he was thinking about all of this, imagine having to process all of this, while he's thinking about this, the next verse says that he fell asleep, and as he considered these things, as he was thinking about these things, which would be exhausting, uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Here we go again. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And when Joseph woke up from the sleep, uh, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Right? So you know the story. The uh, angel comes, God speaks, God delivers a message. While he's thinking all of this through, he receives a message from God. And I want to say that uh, what happened to Joseph on the way to Christmas is that 
Uh, he heard a message from God and he chose to believe it uh, with all of his heart. He chose to believe it. Having heard that message from God that the baby you know, was going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and that the baby was going to be the son of God and that this baby was going to take away the sins of the world, all of a sudden the timing of the pregnancy was probably insignificant compared to the identity of who this child really was. And when Joseph weighed that against each other and thought, my goodness, God is asking me to step up here. And, um, uh, and, and it must have made the problem of the timing of the pregnancy, you know, to be kind of insignificant in comparison to who Jesus really is. This baby is from God, and um, he's going to take away uh, the sins of the world. How happy Joseph must have become once he settled in his heart to believe what God had said to him, to believe the message. And so uh, verse 24 um, says, you know, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He took Mary as his wife. They did the hoopah. Uh, they uh, got married, right? And they uh, had the party and, and so forth. And uh, I want to say that, you know what happens to Joseph on the way to Christmas? He steps up. He wanted to step out, but he steps up because he heard from God. How many men want to step out when it comes to living for God but need to step up? Because why? Because we live in a culture that it's increasingly more and more difficult to stand up for what God says. And how many of us want to step out uh, but instead need to stand up on the way to Christmas? And so he stands with Mary. Why? Because God says so. Simply because God says so. And I'm sure neither of these teenagers even were remotely aware of all that was in front of them. But their faith in God is what they shared in common. And their faith in God is the glue that held their marriage together. Their faith in God was what they had in common. And so uh, the Bible says that Mary stayed a virgin until Jesus was born. If you read it in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 25. And um, all of this... Uh, we read in Matthew's account, was to fulfill uh, the prophecy that was way back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so that this prophecy could literally be fulfilled. Uh, there was no uh, sexual union between Joseph and Mary until after Jesus was born. Now, there are some people who think that Mary was a virgin for the rest of her life. That's not true. Uh, the Bible indicates that Joseph and Mary had a very normal uh, marriage relationship after Jesus was born. Other children were born to them. Matthew chapter 13, you can read about it. Uh, some people also think that Mary was immaculately conceived. There's no biblical evidence you know, for uh, that notion. Uh, nothing in Scripture indicates that to be true. What happens to Joseph on the way to Christmas? Let me suggest uh, several things. First of all, can I suggest that uh, Joseph's sense of reality, okay, shifted from primarily being tied to this life to being tied to God. Um, he became preoccupied with God's agenda instead of his own. Um, he knows he's going to be shamed. He knows he's going to be excluded socially. He knows maybe he's even going to be rejected by his own family. But you know what? If God is for me, who can really be against me? And uh, I want to suggest to you that if you let Jesus into your life, your reality will shift. The place where you live out your life will 
uh, shift. It will not be uh, in this world, you know, uh, and you can forget about your reputation. Uh, by Matthew chapter 2, Joseph is running for his life down to Egypt to save the baby. His whole uh, life is totally taken over. Uh, what happened to Joseph on his way to Christmas is that his real world went from what he could see to what he could believe. Where Joseph lived, his real world, his reality, went from what he could see to what he could believe. And when he chose to believe God, the reality in which he lived all changed. What happened to Joseph on the way to Christmas? Uh, A second thing that I think happened to Joseph on his way to Christmas is that he found courage. Courage. He found courage to step up instead of stepping out. Um, He found courage. And increasingly, again, in our society, I believe that we need to have courage to be able to stand up for God and what God is doing. There's lots of people who don't believe and uh, a lot of times uh, we'll take hits for taking a stand for what God says and believing what he says. In um, John chapter 8, it's very interesting, you know, the enemies of Jesus did not forget about the circumstances of his birth. In um, John chapter 8, Jesus has some Pharisees up against the wall, and they said to him in response, they pull out this card, right? Uh, Here's what they say, verse 41. Um, They said to him, to Jesus, we are not born of sexual immorality. Don't think that the enemies of Jesus didn't use this card against him. And I'm sure that Joseph heard his share of this. Uh, They said, look, we have one father, even God. And Jesus says to them, if God was your father, you'd love me, for I came from God, and I'm here, and, and I came of my own accord, and so on and so forth. But all through Jesus' life, this was a card that his enemies could pull. And I'm sure it, uh, it, it stabbed you know, Joseph in the heart every time he heard it. Um, a third thing that I think happens to Joseph is that Joseph gives up his right to control his own life. If you allow Jesus to come into your life, control goes to him. Joseph found somebody he trusted more than himself in the person of Jesus. And if you allow Jesus to come into your life, he doesn't come on your terms or my terms. He comes on his terms, and he is the Lord of the universe, right? And he is God. So he doesn't come on our terms. We don't dictate to him where and where not he can go. He respects our free will. But when Jesus gets into your life, uh, you uh, get to the place, if you're like Joseph, where you recognize he's better than I am, and you give up that control. You Uh, I know to deny yourself is purely un-American, but Joseph found somebody he trusted more than he trusted himself. And finally, uh, even more fundamental than all of that, um, Joseph embraced a worldview where he understood everybody needs a savior. Everybody needs a savior. What's really wrong with our world? It's not what the politicians say. It's not about money. It's not economics. It's not who's the president. It's It's the fact that the world needs a savior in order that we might be reconciled to God and that God might be God in our lives. And Joseph embraced a worldview that became like that. So I invited uh, Jason and Jen Canaperi to come and to just share a little bit about their lives because I, I know just enough about them to know uh, that they've had some interruptions in their life and uh, that it's made a profound effect on them. And so thanks for being willing to come and share with us and welcome.
It's good to have you here. Have a seat. Have a seat by the fireplace. How's that? Pretty neat, huh? So, Jen, why don't we start with you? You know, like Mary, I'm sure that you've had some uh, situations in your life where what you expected wasn't what you received. And how did you respond to all of that? Huh? What, well, tell us a little bit about your situation. Well, I certainly wasn't a Mary. I certainly didn't embrace it. <laughs> okay. Um, it took some time for me to uh, really get into, uh, you know, coming and, uh, uh-huh. you know, especially with our small group. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our small group is uh, great, but I wasn't always a willing participant. Um, <laughs> Not very eager at first. Um, it took some time, uh, but eventually, uh, you know, our small group, they would, uh, as I got to get, get to know them, they would, they st- said that they cared about me, and that really made a big difference. They cared about the good things, um, and they cared about the bad things that happened, and they would sit and they would pray with us. Uh, my brother was very sick uh, a couple years back, and since it hurt me, it hurt them. Um, and so they prayed for him. They didn't even know my brother but they prayed for him. And, um, you know, we had a couple of tremendous losses in our, in our family, and so they prayed for, you know, Jason's family and for healing. Um, so I would definitely say my small group. Um, and now, you know, I reach out to them, and I, I pray for them, and if I know something is going on in their lives, I, um, I reach out to them and try and help them. Uh, so would you say that in your life, you know, the whole idea of... Um you being in control of your life versus God having more and more influence and control in your life. Is that happening to you? I mean, yes. share with a little bit about that. Definitely. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so because of, I think because of our small group and their love and their support, um, I've decided to help out with um, the children's ministry downstairs. I would never do that, ever, <laughs> ever. Um, but God called me to do that, and so I did. And it's great, and I love it, and I look forward to going downstairs every morning or every Sunday morning and just being with those kids and watching them grow and helping them, um, you know, understand God's word. Uh, the other thing is uh, our, our small group, as some of you may know, we do um, the Sullivan McKinney thing. You know, I go there during, uh, during the week on Wednesdays. We go and we sit and we knit with a bunch of ladies. I would never, ever, <laughs> ever do that. I'd much rather be home after work in my PJs instead of getting back in the car, going all the way down to Fairfield. Um, but it's so worth it. And we, I love those ladies and gentlemen. They, yeah. they come down too. Yeah. So, yes. So, do you think like the next time God interrupts your life with something that you'll have a different... I, I do. You're, you're really maturing in your faith, right? I mean, yes. Kind of like Mary. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really kind of cool. It wasn't... Uh, I wasn't all in. Right. Right. Um, it's been a slow process, yeah. but so worth it. But it's happening. Yeah. And like Mary, you're finding out that when you do give in, guess what? You're blessed. Tremendously. See? Thanks for sharing that. And Jason, you relate to Joseph at all? I mean, anything ever happened to you that's different than what you planned? Um, <laughs> can you hear me? You know, yeah. I think everybody knows the story, but it's, yeah. you know, you, you, I think you... Just listening, I said, oh, I can give the testimony. I can give three different testimonies right now. I don't know how much time we have. But, Go for it. You know, <laughs> me and Jen, Jen, I should have gone first. Me and Jen were on a trajectory. We were on, a, you know, we were on the highway to success in our own minds, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, we were doing exactly what we wanted to do, which was nothing to do with church or God. But we, we were having fun. We were throwing some very good parties. We, were, yeah. we had our hot rods. We had our vacations, you know, and that was yeah. a, that's exactly how we wanted it. We had conned our pastor into getting us married it was great uh, uh, but as you know 
when God blessed us with a child, he was born blind. He was born with a serious uh, impediment called nystagmus, where the eyes never stop shaking up and down, moving side to side. And believe it or not, me and Jen were like the only ones that didn't realize there was something wrong with them. Huh. You know, people around, you know, we just, there was no way anything could go wrong with our perfect lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but when, when the time came, to, uh, when the doctor told us that there was definitely a problem, uh, that's when I had my little breakdown secretly without Jen knowing and saying, you know what, we've been T-boned. I think you give the, uh, the, wor- the word sideways. I said, Jen, sideways is exactly right because you're going down the road and all of a sudden somebody slams you, your car gets sideways. And you know what, you're going to either get out and find out what happened or you're going to run and make things worse. Uh, in our case, <clears throat> you know, there was going to be a problem that we couldn't overcome on our own. And so I prayed. I I prayed the night before we got a, a serious medical uh, exam. Jared had to have an MRI, um, and we knew the results weren't going to be good. I was thinking severed optic nerve or brain damage, something like that, and we were going to have a long, long battle with something that we were not prepared to do. We did not want to deal with that. It wasn't in the plan at all. So as a last resort, I asked God for help. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and the following day, we got an answer, and that would be the equivalent of an angel to me because a doctor called us on a Saturday and said, nope, there's no problem with Jared's brain whatsoever. And, you know, that, that opened my heart, that opened my eyes to say, okay, he's going to be okay. There is a God, and I need to start finding out about him. And so that was the change, you know, that was a change in direction for us. And it didn't immediately, I don't think it affected Jen the same way because, number one, she didn't know that was my my prayer. She figured I was going to figure something out for us, uh, but she didn't know that I had help, right? Yeah. But that was the start of, uh, you know, trusting in God and finding out more about uh, God by listening to you. And so, uh, as a result, I mean, would you say that at this point in your life compared to, you know, five years ago, the surrender of control in your life to God, for God to be able to dictate to you, uh, is, is, I mean, in the time I've known you, it's just been a radical, it's a Joseph-like transition. There's, you know, that was just the start. He yeah. had more work to do because I was still focused on, I still thought I could have the best of both worlds, you know. <laughs> and uh, there's no such thing as the best of both worlds. God says yeah. that you can only serve one master, right? And yep. Yep. if you think that you're going to have the best of both worlds, you're in for a surprise. He wants all of us, right? And so you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to need to continue to grow. So I had a few more real tough transitions along the way, but he straightened me out. And even with work, you know, you can't yeah. serve work and serve God at the same time to a degree. There is a, there is a balance. And so he has molded us through serious um, incidents because we need it because we're not too smart when it comes to listening to God. Uh, but, that's, uh, but the faithfulness is there because we've seen the results. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And would you say that, uh, you know, like Joseph, uh, that the reality in which you live now is not so much the reality you see, but the reality you believe, right? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's exactly had a tremendous right. influence. Yeah. Yep. This is like a modern day Joseph. I mean, it really is. Would you uh, pray with me? It's great. Heavenly Father, we pause here uh, just to recognize uh, you and the power of your word in our lives. And I uh, thank you so much for uh, Jason and Jen and for uh, their surrender to you their submission to you, their uh, recognition of your word to be alive and powerful and true, and by embracing it, the change that's come into their lives. We, we thank you, Father. You're a God who's involved uh, w- with us on an everyday basis.
And you are in the process of changing lives and uh, moving us to be more and more like yourself. And so I pray, Father, for each of us here this morning that we would be like Mary and Joseph on our way to Christmas, that we would both find, all of us, find ways uh, to um, embrace the interruptions that you send our way, the changes in the way to think, uh, the changes in our circumstances, the changes in our health, uh, the changes in our relationships with other people. Whatever it is, what we, don't, when we, what we receive isn't what we imagined was going to happen, that we would recognize there's a, a bigger hand that's uh, working and manipulating our lives for your own purposes and for your own glory. And may we be willing to surrender and submit so that you could have your way with us and that you could be glorified in the end because you're so much better and greater than each one of us. Thank you, Father, for uh, the willingness uh, to share this in Jesus' name. Amen.